The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to another edition of Friday Night Live with me, Hafiz Shaban, this Friday evening on the 17th of January 2020. Uh, corresponding to the 22nd, I believe, of Jamaad al-Awwal 1441. And as usual, we are broadcasting live on Luton, uh, 105.1 FM. And also across uh, our sister stations nationally, Sheffield Link FM, Peterborough Salam, Derby, Nottingham and the various other stations that are broadcasting this program live to you wherever you are. Uh, nationally, also internationally, of course, uh, as usual, Facebook live streaming. Uh, so you can actually watch us here from the studio as we present the show this evening to you. And of course, you can tune in to us via the Inspire FM app. So plenty of ways of uh, of tuning in, listening to us uh, from Inspire FM on Friday Night Live. Uh, most importantly, as I always request you every week, is I want to hear your thoughts. You know, I'm sure you're tired of hearing me every week. Uh, but I never get tired. We never get tired from hearing from you. So 01582 is the number here in the studio. 01582 I'm sure there's a lot of brave people out there who are going to pick up the phones uh, and, and, and speak to us this, this evening, right? Uh, 0779481822. 0779481822 is the number for SMS, WhatsApp messages. And we do take SMS, WhatsApp messages also. So do feel free to send in your thoughts via that medium. Uh, Juma Mubarak, of course, to everyone. And uh, subhanAllah, I have seen a number of messages going around saying 100 days uh, and counting before Ramadan 2020. So Ramadan is around the corner. Uh, all right, so inshallah, we've got a, a fantastic lineup as always uh, this evening for you, inshallah ta'ala. But before that, you know, I want to introduce uh, someone who's uh, very, very, very close, probably a, a lot more closer to Friday Night Live than I am. Uh, and it's uh, a very familiar voice that I'm sure you, you'll be able to recognize. So I'm not going to introduce his name to you, but Assalamu Alaikum, uh, Akhiman. <laughs> I'm just going to say Assalamu Alaikum, Akhi, because I want my listeners to recognize this voice, man. Mashallah. Who is this mystery voice, right? Mashallah. So l- l- let's put it out there for our audience to, to guess the mysterious I'll voice. I'll tell you one thing, it's not Nawaz Sharif. It's, it's not, not Nawaz Sharif. Uh, yeah. Those two are critically ill, right? So, Those, uh, sorry, this, but, but it actually comes from a very similar place, right? So he's come from all the way from Dubai. He's a, he's a special guest today in in the studio, mashallah. And and to give you a clue, he used to be in the hot seat we were just exchanging earlier. Uh, it's, not, it's not Sultan Qaboos either. <laughs> it's not, he's, dead, he's just so passed away that's recently. That's not going to happen. So, yeah. <laughs> all right, fun, fantastic, right? So, uh, so, so uh, let's hear from our listeners who they think that this mysterious voice is. But mashallah, he is in the studio with me this evening and he's going to be the co-presenter or one of the presenters for the show this evening, inshallah, as we navigate through the lineup that we've got this evening. So let, let us go back to our listeners and give them a quick uh, overview of what we're going to be discussing this evening. All right, so a uh, leading story as uh, Abdul Akbar, just, uh, just uh, give, uh, just, give the spoiler. You just, just told them my name. Oh, <laughs> there you go. I'm not very good at this game, am I? 
right, uh, is, uh, of course, we're, we're discussing uh, Sultan Qaboos. You know, he bites as dust. Uh, another leader uh, from the Muslim world has uh, gone to meet his creator and account for, you know, the way he ruled and governed his people. He was in the power for a very, very long time, right? So we're going to be asking the question, ailing leaders of the Muslim world, one by one, they are, of course, you know, moving on. What is in prospect for the next generation that are lining up to take over, right? Is there any prospect of any change? Well, what are the, what do the people of that region want in terms of leadership? You know, I'd, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Uh, but we're also going to be speaking to an expert on this particular subject matter, Professor Kamal Hawash, uh, a British Palestinian who's going to be shedding some light on this. We're going to go to him very soon because we don't have much of his time, unfortunately, this evening. Uh, but over and beyond that story, we're also covering a couple of other stories. Uh, Musharraf's treason trial, right? This this is an interesting ping pong, uh, you know, episode at the moment because if you remember in December he was sentenced to death, right? And lo and behold, a couple of days ago they've just over overturned that particular ruling as un unconstitutional. Welcome, I mean, welcome to Pakistani politics. <laughs> I, I, absolutely. The only thing that you actually get in Pakistan is yeah. is not no justice. Right, so that's the question I'm going to be asking. We're speaking to an Islamabad-based journalist and we'll find out what the ping-pong game is that's going on there. But I want to probe a bit underneath that and find out, you know, I mean, is there justice or is justice only something that's meted out to the average individual on the streets, right? So that's, that's the question. And if you've got a view on that, uh, you know the number that you need to call. Uh, and then uh, the last main story that we're going to be covering this evening is... Uh, uh, a lot of our listeners would have seen this video that's been going around, right? It's pretty much, a, a, you know, something that you will classify as a, a bit of a viral video that's going around. And, it, and it's, shown, it's showing a sheikh, a quite an elderly individual, who's giving a lecture, uh, he's giving a reminder. And as he's giving the reminder, he passes away. He passes away, right? And that's obviously touched a lot of emotions, a lot of nerves. A lot of people, you know, have been forwarding that. But apart from forwarding that, what is the takeaway lesson right what is the takeaway message when we see these kind of reminders right so we're going to try to probe a bit further into that and we've got a fantastic lineup because we've got Sheikh Haytham Al-Haddad who's going to be giving us a, a reminder on that particular subject right so that that that's the lineup right this evening inshallah and as, as I said we have got our first guest already on the on the call on the phone I want to go straight to him because unfortunately we don't have much of the time of the professors uh, I want to welcome uh, Professor Kamal Hawash, Hawash. I'm ho I hope I'm saying that surname correctly Professor but welcome to Friday Night Live and thank you very much for joining us this evening Thank you very much for having me. And my apologies for not giving you as much time as I'd hope. No, no, we appreciate the time that you have given us this evening, uh, Professor. But let, let me go straight into it. Another another leader within the Muslim world bites their dust, quite elderly, ruled Oman for, you know, almost, I think, 50 years. Uh, what, what's your, you know, the first opening question is, of course, what's, the, what's in prospect for the next generation lining up? I mean, we, we already know the successor of Sultan Qaboos. A lot of commentators already given the obvious narrative that expect no changes you, you know let, let's hear your thoughts as, as a political analyst and, and a political commentator on Middle Eastern affairs yes thank you I, I mean if you look specifically in the Middle East area uh, th there were some really famous figures that have gone that uh, uh, the next generation hears about but they didn't see like you know if you like Saddam Hussein and and uh, uh, the, the, the Libyan leader Gaddafi uh, and, and the, Al-Assad, Hafid Al-Assad, uh, who, who went. And now when you ask people, okay, name me five really well-known Muslim leaders, I think you'll find they would struggle. They'll probably mention uh, uh, Erdogan of Turkey. Uh, some of them may know of 
the very elderly but seemingly very fit uh, Prime Minister of, uh, of Malaysia, Mahathir. Uh, but I think beyond that, they would begin to struggle. And certainly in the Middle East, as in the Arab countries, they would struggle to, 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 to name someone. Even when it comes to Saudi Arabia, they probably think, is it Mohammed bin Salman or is it Salman yeah. who is the king? And of course, mm. Salman is still the king. Yeah. So that, that's the, 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 the situation as it is now, in that there is no real, there, isn't a num there aren't a number of leading uh, uh, Muslim leaders that people can point to immediately. Mm. Mm. Um, what is happening, I think, is that the, the, the regimes, if I can call them that in the nicest possible way, yeah. that uh, existed, still exist. So the person will change, but uh, the regimes aren't likely to change that much. And by that I mean I don't see a really big move towards democracy. So that's, mm. that's the, the unfortunate thing when, in fact, in terms of development, in terms of jobs, how we are positioned in the region for the future, there's a need for a real radical change to make sure that the, the region isn't falling behind any further. Yeah, but, but, but just before we come on to that, uh, uh, Professor Kamal, I mean, in terms of what the region actually needs and what the people actually need, I mean, let's talk about Sultan Qaboos's legacy himself. I mean, you know, not too long ago, he was one, he is the, the first, you know, GCC uh, ruler uh, to, you know, open his doors uh, to Netanyahu uh, in, and hosting him in, in, in Muscat, right? Uh, and we know he's played a, a quite an interesting strategic role uh, within the region, obviously being very close to the British and the Americans, but also navigating very politically carefully uh, with, with its GCC neighbours. What, what for you has been Qaboos's legacy for Oman? Well, Oman, when he took over 50 years ago, was a really underdeveloped country. Mm. But he, he managed to, uh, to, to, to change the situation quite dramatically. Uh, maintained, if you like, a, a lowish profile in terms of uh, not interfering in other countries' uh, uh, issues but focusing very much on his own country. And he did that really quite well. Mm. Uh, I think it is really unfortunate, uh, but it was his choice, that the lasting image of him will be the one you described, which mm. is of Netanyahu walking around in his, in his office and looking at maps and so on. Yeah. Uh, but I think the Omanis themselves will remember him as someone who brought them prosperity, stability, and indeed the way that the, the, the transfer of power to the next uh, sultan was done uh, was very peaceful and very quick. So I think people will remember him uh, more for that. But as a Palestinian particularly, but I think a lot of people will remember that that image. There was no need for it. There was mm. no need to normalize with Netanyahu when Israel has done nothing mm. to, to resolve the, the, the conflict and in fact to, to end the occupation. Yeah, a lot of people would say, I mean, he only actually you know, demonstrated publicly what's already happening behind closed doors across the other GCC nations. So it's, it's no, no secret. That's, like, exactly, that, that's exactly right. I think you're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, just, just to add Professor Heiss, Abdel Akbar uh, here, um, also uh, walked, in the studio. Walked in, whereas with to, the others, it's under the table and it continues all the time. Right, uh, Abdel Akbar. Yeah, Professor, thanks for that. Um, it's Abdel Akbar here. I mean, my biggest yes. concern, I think you touched on it, uh, Professor, is that... Um, this particular leader, um, Sultan Qaboos, effectively, you know, let in um, a leader from Israel that is responsible, arguably, for the instability in the Middle East today. Um, and at the time, in October 2018, he even let in these pictures of him with the head of Mossad. And that's a great concern to me and other Muslims around the world, especially when we look to 
you know, progressive leaders like Sultan Qaboos for leadership. But unfortunately, as you mentioned, he was only really looking after his own territory and falling foul of the classic Churchillian kind of American strategy of dividing and conquering um, the Arabs, Ar Arab people. And I think he was just um, falling in line with that. And I think the legacy that he leaves behind and the example he leaves behind, for me at least, isn't a very inspirational one. In fact, mm. it's counter to that. It's He's effectively telling other future leaders that look after yourselves and don't worry about what's happening to your Muslim brothers and sisters um, or just humanity in general mm. outside of your borders. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, I, I take part of that. But as I say, if you ask the Omanis themselves, yeah. I've spoken to some Omanis, uh, they, they will say what I said. They will confirm that uh, for their country, he had done uh, right by them. He lasted 50 years without any problem. Mm. Uh, but, but the general point you make, I, I agree with, that it's not mm. just him mm. uh, out in the open. Right. The others on the table behind the scenes have been normalizing by Israel. They, they, they swallowed the, the, the lie that Iran is the threat regionally yeah. and, they, they, and that they, the, the way to count Iran is to ally themselves with, with Israel. And uh, I think uh, they, they, they will find that whenever they need help from Israel, for example, if, if Iran really were to attack mm. uh, one of these capitals, if they think the Israelis will send their aircraft to protect them, they're deluded. Yeah, and maybe yeah. on that I am, if you don't mind. Oh, okay. I was, I was going to try to squeeze in another question, but but uh, but I do understand your time constraints, uh, uh, Professor Kamal. Thank you very much for joining us, even though it was it was very short and sweet. Thank you very much. Thank you. Right. Uh, so that was Professor Kamal uh, Khawash, right? So um, he's providing his, you know, uh, political anal uh, you know, analysis on, on the passing away of Sultan Qaboos. I'm going to open it up and we'll have a com conversation with Abdul Akbar. But surprise, surprise, you've got a, you've got a good uh, support and, and a fan base, Abdul Akbar, because we've, we've already got started receiving some messages, mashallah. So let me, let me, let me take these messages firstly. Uh, so Brother Sawar, Asalaamu Alaikum and welcome back to Brother Abdul Akbar. Mashallah, that, that's good, good, to, good to see that. All right. So first comment, I don't see any good hope on the on the next generation of Muslim leaders, which is the Middle East countries. Right. So this was going to be one of my questions to um, Professor you know, Kamal, which is uh, a which is ailing Muslim leaders right within the Muslim uh, countries. But even the ailing leaders, you know, the, the, the line of succession is very clearly mapped out. Right by the you know political masters, right? They're, these political masters are not naive and not and not you know uh, ob oblivious to the fact that we've got an ailing population here. We need to bring in the next generation. We need to bring in some people who are more palatable to to the wider populace. You know, bring in some some change, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we're already seeing that surface in some of the Muslim countries. Absolutely. W what are your thoughts, right, in terms of what are the genuine needs and interests of the people and, and why do we see so much of this that there's no hope for, for the next generation of leadership within the, within, the, within the current setup within the Muslim countries? I mean, my, my biggest concern, Hafiz Shaban, is the fact that when you have people like Benjamin Netanyahu, right, the yeah. current um, leader of Israel, mm. when you see him whining and dining, in, 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 you know, figuratively speaking, with yeah. people like Sultan Qaboos who have now passed away, mm. I mean, obviously, it's in, it's in our Islamic tradition, not to speak negatively about the deceased, mm. you know, we don't want to do that, but we need to learn lessons. Yeah. And the biggest lesson that I draw from this particular leadership legacy mm. is that he did not really do much, at least 
from a public relations perspective yeah. for the challenges in the Muslim world. Mm. And I, I would love to hear from the listeners on 01582-481822 mm. what, what they think. Like, was, was Sultan Qaboos the leader that other Muslim leaders could learn from? Because I think there are things you can learn from him as well. Mm. So, for example, his attitude, his... Um, his his calmness, if you mm. like, w on mm. the political spectrum. Yeah. Um. The way he was spoken was very elegant. He had mm. kind of like a quiet demeanor, mm. but actually quite powerful behind the mm. scenes. Mm. But then the skeptic in me yeah. starts to think: Was this guy just a stooge? Mm. Was he a, a plant yeah. by other administrations, namely yeah. the Americans and the British, yeah. which is why they were so tolerant of him, mm. which is why the oil that Oman has been blessed with was mm. so successfully transacted mm. um, by the different countries. I yeah. mean, what, what's going on there? All right, so so let's, let's, let's delve into some, a couple of facts. We've got about eight minutes left, right? So, I mean, his own you know, transition to power was actually him dispo uh, deposing his own father. All right, so that, that's a, a, point, a point to note. Uh, 50 years of, as you said, rule. So he was very close to the, uh, the, the, the British and the Americans, in, including in the, you know, in the campaign against Iran in the early, you know, uh, late 1970s, plus in terms of you know, the Gulf War, very close with, with the Americans, post-2001, you know, uh, very involved with the Americans in terms of the operations against Afghanistan and, and, and aiding that in terms of as, as bases. And we know that, it's, it, it, you know, they've had bases around Oman for, for a long time. So very much involved w from an American and, and a British perspective, as as is no surprise that many of the other countries are. Yeah, right. So surprising. And, 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 and then I'm he's not, and yeah. he's then he's been very open in the latter years. Okay, yeah. with with the, with the, with the Israelis, right? So yeah. almost you know leading and and setting a precedent for the other rulers to follow in in Nifaq. Right, yeah. uh, and and in in the one of the most greatest of evils, if you want to you know use those words in mm -hmm. terms of actually you know uh, the oppression against uh, the the Palestinian almost normalizing that, and that's what people would argue. I'm not necessarily you know holding that opinion, but that's what people would argue, and that's sure, what they are arguing. That, that's one angle of looking at it. Mm. But the other thing that Professor mentioned that I would draw from the professor's words is that this was a geostrategic move because mm. of Iran as well. Yeah. We need to understand that Iran is a superpower, in quotes, albeit a limping superpower mm. in the Gulf kind of region, the southwestern mm. um, Asian region. Yeah. And people like Sultan Qaboos, um, the leaders of Saudi Arabia, the Gulf states, mm. they're only allying with America and the UK because that's a smart geostrategic move against Iran. And so I don't see the allyship with Iran, with America and the UK as necessarily a bad thing for Oman. Mm, mm. I mean, it's a very tiny country. It's a mm. speck compared mm. to some of the other countries around the world. Yeah. So I would, I, I personally don't see that as a negative. I mean, right. if, maybe if you were, if you were Sultan Qaboos or I was Sultan Qaboos, mm. with the geodynamics that happen in the region, yeah. and you have a beast like Iran on your mm. doorstep, mm. you know, potentially as a threat. Yeah. Um, you might want to ally up with some major superpowers, even though you don't see entirely eye to eye mm. with everything they do and mm. the kind of views they have around um, how Gulf countries should be managed in terms of the de democratic governance that we have in right. Western countries. Okay. So I think, I think. I, I don't see being allied with UK and America okay. as, as, as a negative. I just think 
it's geostrategic yeah. given the Iranian I hear it. situation. All right, I hear it. Interesting views by uh, Abdul Akbar 0158248182 uh, 0777948182. We want to hear from our listeners. Uh, subject matter of conversation is Oman and uh, the passing away of Sultan Qaboos earlier this week. Uh, you know what? Thinking about it in, in hindsight, perhaps we should have reached out to the Omani embassy and seen if we can get some representation from the Omani embassy. That would have been interesting. So we let, let's put it out there that I don't think the, the team were, uh, did reach out to the Omani embassy. Uh, so if you've got an opinion, you've been out to Oman, you've interacted with the people of Oman, uh, and, and generally, you know, I, I, it's good to hear that opinion. And I'm going to go on to that particular subject matter uh, next with uh, Abdul Akbar. 01582-481-822-0779-481822. quick one. Yeah. Before, before, sorry to interrupt your, your no. flow here, but really no. quickly, yeah. have you been to Oman? That's what I was going to come on to, bro. Oh, really? I was yeah. going to come on to I've, I've been to Oman a number of times, yeah. right? And I have interacted with the, the people What's of Oman. Like? What's it like? Is it like Dubai? I, I have, oh. I have, this is official. I have never seen people like Oman. They are the most loveliest people, yeah. you know, that I've ever interacted with. Now, I've even, lived... Even better than Pakistanis? Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a <laughs> deep question. I, I, I mean, just generally, obviously I'm generalizing, the right? The reason I say that is because an Emirati blogger that recently went to Pakistan, yeah. as recently as a couple of days ago, yeah. and he said... Uh, Pakistanis are the best people he's come across Seriously. in the whole world. There yeah, that's yeah. why I'm making the right, pun. Right, but yeah, right. sorry to interrupt so, you. Uh, all right. I mean, you know, so, Alhamdulillah, you know, since 2007, so Kuwait, Saudi, Dubai, Qatar, Bahrain, you know, pretty much like you, right? You know, being, you know, across the GCC. But there was something about the Omani people. I mean, they are uh, very laid back, very nice, very gentle. Uh, and, and just their persona and personality. And, and you know what? Surprisingly, this morning I was asking a, a brother, uh, you know, who's from the, from the Middle East, what is it about the Omani people that makes them, you know, of, the, of that personality? I, I, I don't know if you've, if you've had a, a similar experience or if you've had a completely, you know, opposite experience. I think, What's your uh, thoughts? No, I, I totally concur with what you're saying. They're uh, really nice people. Yeah. And I think some of that does brush off from what the leadership portrays on its people. Mm. Um, I don't see in Oman what you, for example, saw under Saddam Hussein's mm. Iraq. Like when you look at the Iraqi situation, I'm not saying Iraq is perfect right now. Hell mm, no, it's, it's, mm. it's very bad right now. Yeah, yeah. Some would argue even worse than it was under Saddam Hussein. However, yeah. the way Saddam Hussein and Colonel Gaddafi and these tyrants of the past mm. used to lead their people was almost like in a godlike kind of figure. Yes, of course. Where they would show their pictures everywhere, mm. left, right and center. You'd see paintings mm. of Saddam Hussein mm. in kind of like a king-like pose. Mm. Whereas in Oman, though you see leadership photographs yeah. they're not everywhere it's yeah. a very modest kind of view and mm. a very modern view and mm. some would argue you know for the most part um you know the the legacy of Qaboos is actually that Oman is much better placed than many of its neighbors yeah. in order to confront some of the challenges in the Middle uh, East today. I mean there's no doubt it's a, it's a lovely place and even Oman naturally it's been blessed with, with with incredible beauty and 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 of course if you if you're in uh, from UAE it's half an hour 45 minute drive into in, into Oman a lot of people have, have probably made that trip right uh, so a lovely place lovely people you know and of course the geopolitical 
a circumstance of, of, of any country has an impact on the people itself and that's what we're saying right so I I, I, be, I, I was in Syria li I lived in Syria in the 1990s at the height of Hafiz al-Assad who Professor you know Kamal was earlier referring to and a total police total you know to totalitarian state right mm -hmm. and you can see the fear that is, is, is in the people because of the nature of the police state that they're living under and there, there's no doubt about that but in, in the last two three minutes what is it that the people desire? You know, what we're talking about here, we've, we've seen comments that no hope for the next generation of Muslim leaders. You know, what, what are the aspirations of the Muslim people in terms of what are the, the type of leadership, the type of you know, leaders that they actually want? And, and why is it that they're not getting that? What, what are your thoughts on, so, on that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I think you asked me that question before and I didn't answer it. But I think generally mm. what people are looking for, and I think Muslim people mm. are no different from any other people. Mm. They want stability. They mm. want leadership that's going to represent them on the world stage. They want leadership that's going to inspire them right. and is going to offer vision for the future. Um, they also want Islam, like the Omani people, mm. and even in the Gulf countries, even though when you go to places like the UAE and Dubai, for yeah. example, you see all this kind of bling and people enjoying themselves yeah. and, um, you know, you, you see a very Western lifestyle. Yeah. But deep down in the heart of, for example, every Emirati, every yeah. Saudi, every Omani, every Bahraini mm. is Islam. They have a core attraction and you could even argue is the same not just for these arabs it's mm. true tr it's true for pakistanis it's true mm. for indian muslims mm. it's true for everyone what they want yeah. is good solid moral leadership that they can look up to and follow mm. and that, that's a very interesting point that almost we're going to come to the end of the first half an hour which is you know uh, a good uh, uh, a leadership which is transparent, which takes the interests of its people at heart, right? Provides basic rights to to the people, Absolutely. but then is governed by you know the morals and the ethics and the guidelines of the, of their faith. Uh, it, you know, and, and a lot of people might be listening to us, Muslims and non-Muslims, and they might think, well, that hang on, that sounds about right. So why is it that they're not able to get a government? That reflects that. Why is there so much, you know, effort by these so-called external powers to ensure that that's exactly what they don't get, and they get everything yeah. but that? Yeah, maybe maybe somebody else is uh, in charge of those uh, chess pieces. Who knows? Mm, ah, someone else is interested theory. in those <laughs> chess pieces. I don't think it's a conspiracy theory, but that's a nice way to bring uh, to an end the first conversation. That was Oman Sultan Sultan Qaboos passing away in Oman earlier this week, uh, and just reflecting on uh, the changes, uh, if any changes are in line with the, with the next uh, line of uh, the throne there in, in Oman. Your thoughts: all one five eight two four eight one eight double two zero triple seven nine four eight one eight double two here in the studio. We're going to be coming back and we're going to be discussing the ping pong trial of Musharraf. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, it's me, Hafiz Shaban, in the studio with our very own personal and welcome back to Brother Abdul Akbar, inshallah. So if you've got a personal message for Abdul Akbar, positive or negative, get it into the studio. <laughs> I'll get it onto, on, on, on air, inshallah. Until uh, we come back from the commercial break, Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz. Listen to Inspire FM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.
Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to Friday Night Live with me, Hafi Shaban and brother Abdul Akbar here in the studios. 0158 for your uh, contributions to tonight's show, tonight's discussion. We are discussing a number of uh, lead stories. First half an hour we were covering, of course, Oman and uh, the passing away of Sultan Qaboos, uh, the leader of Oman, ruled Oman for over 50 years, a long, very, very long time ruling Oman. And, and, and likewise, we see across the Muslim world, a, a lot of these rulers who have been, in, uh, been there for decades. Good to, good to actually measure, you know, the, the change and the impact that these leaders are having or, or have had on, on their countries. Probably a lot more negative than positive in some instances. But those were the, 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 were some of the other questions that we were asking in the first half. And now we're going to be moving on to our next story. Hopefully we're going to get uh, one of the, the journalists live from Islamabad in the next minute or two. Uh, but this is the trial, right? This is the trial of Musharraf. Now, some of you may or may not have followed this news and, and some of you, quite frankly, might have got bored by following this news because it's been going on for such a long time that who on, on, uh, in the right mind has uh, an appetite to follow a story that's been unfolding since almost, I think, 2007, almost, I think. Uh, and, and this is the, 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 the case of uh, the, the trial of uh, treason uh, for Musharraf. And uh, in December, he was... Was, uh, in a special court, he was sentenced to death by a special court in Islamabad on December the 17th, six years after the trial started, right? Uh, and this case was not surprisingly filed by the Pakistan's uh, MLLN uh, government against Musharraf. Uh, and then on Monday this week, right, so this is the special court in Islamabad, 17th of December, sentenced to death for treason. Uh, and then, surprise, surprise, uh, a bit of a ping pong because then the Lahore High Court. Now, I, 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 someone has to explain to me what, what, what is the, 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 you know, the kind of a supreme court and the, and the legislative, uh, legislative system and the judiciary system in Pakistan? Because the Lahore High Court on Monday declared that the the judgment of 17th of December was unconstitutional and it's been thrown out of. Uh, of, uh, you know, it's been declared unconstitutional and that's it, it no, it no longer holds uh, fit for purpose and therefore, quote-unquote, the, the, the lifeline of Musharraf has been extended. Abdul Akbar, uh, initial thoughts before we, we get to um, speak to Raja Faisal from Islamabad. Yeah, you couldn't make this up. I mean, this is classic Pakistani politics. One yeah. minute you're seeing a death penalty, the next minute um, the person is free, even though they have committed multiple crimes in yeah. the eyes of millions of people across the world, right. including not forgetting, let's not forget the legacy of Lal Masjid. Like when yeah. I think of Pervez Musharraf, yeah. um, I think of his illegal coup, of course, which yeah. is one of the basis for the reason why he was given the death penalty. Yeah. But also the legacy, Lal Masjid was not mentioned by mm. the government who mm. are prosecuting him and, and the mm. prosecutors. Mm. But... I mean, we mustn't forget, Musharraf is responsible for those who died, um, you know, many, many years ago, around 12 years ago. Um, and he was he was the guy who actually ordered yep. the assault on Lal Masjid, mm. where many, many innocents died. All right. sad. We're, we're going to come back to you straight. All right, we, we do have Raja Faisal, uh, Islamabad-based journalist, uh, joining us live from Islamabad. Assalamu alaikum, uh, Raja Faisal Sahib. And firstly, thank you very much for joining us. 
on Friday Night Live. MashaAllah, lovely to have you uh, with us this evening. I've got Brother Abdul Akbar with me here in the studio too, MashaAllah. Uh, you, you know, t- tell us more about this ping pong trial of Musharraf uh, Raja Faisal Sahib. Me, me and Abdul Akbar here in the studio are, are finding it a bit difficult understanding what, what, is, what is going on. Well, it was uh, quite difficult for me as well, initially for everyone in Pakistan. That, that's good to hear that. So it's not, uh, it's not just us that are struggling to understand what's happening here. Yeah. <laughs> well, the reason behind it was, you know, normally people considered that uh, if Musharraf was to be tried upon something, then it should have been something he did in uh, 1999 rather than he did in 2007. No. So, uh, uh, earlier, I was I was listening. The brother uh, he was talking about uh, Lal Masjid. Yes, Lal Masjid wasn't uh, you know uh, taken up as a case as well. Uh, in this case, we only had 2007 uh, emergency, which he which he imposed yes. while he was uh, you know uh, Chief Justice at that time. Ifthar Choudhury uh, Musharraf tried to sack him yes. in March 2007, but he uh, couldn't do it. And uh, later on, of course, he had to impose uh, the emergency in the country, which was later on, like, you know, lifted and nullified and all of that. Mm. And uh, because later on, the political situation got changed as well. And in 2000, uh, 2008, he had to, like, you know, leave the country after mm. uh, President Zadari took the reins of the country yes. at that time. So since then, he's been, uh, you know, in Dubai, but slightly in 2013, when he came back to the country, he actually came back to, uh, like, you know, contest election in Pakistan. Yes. Uh, I'm talking about the 2013 one. Yes. But he couldn't do it. Why? Because as soon as he reached the country, uh, he was, uh, you know, uh, shown few of the cases he had uh, in, in, in the country. And especially this case uh, under Article 6, he he was like you know uh, facing this, right. and at that time he was uh, put in ECL. ECL is a famous uh, you know exit control list in Pakistan. Whoever is wanted or whoever is someone who shouldn't be leaving the country, yes. his name actually appears in right. uh, ECL. So Musharraf's name it got into that. And then uh, he was so, not allowed to so uh, ra- go out anywhere in the country. Right. Oh, uh, so, uh, so Raja Faisal, a lot of my listeners are going to be listening to you and they're going to be thinking precisely, this is what's been happening for the last almost 10 years. Yeah. I mean, it, it just continues, doesn't it? It's like a, almost a, it's a quagmire. It's just a, a total mess. And, and I tell you what, a, a lot of our listeners are just the ordinary people, you know, who are probably from Pakistan, maybe from India, maybe from Bangladesh. And they can probably all relate to this kind of examples, which is high profile, you know, people with affluence, people, you know, with, with connections, the only thing that doesn't get served is justice. Exactly. And especially in these sort of cases where high profile people like Musharraf, mm. they are involved in these sort of cases, mm. then of course nothing, you know, can be uh, brought forward against them. And the biggest reason behind it is that, you know, a, a country like Pakistan, and uh, a country uh, like Pakistan, that is, uh, like you know, a struggling country, and uh, in terms of like you know, power, power as well. In terms of uh, uh, the, the country hasn't been seeing democracy uh, regularly. Mm. Pakistan is a country where for 40 years we didn't see democracy in the country, mm. and uh, of course, 
Pakistan happens to be one of the security states, if I, if I can say it, uh, because Pakistan's both of the borders, uh, initially Pakistan had only, uh, you know, the eastern border, which was a live border, and mm. uh, LOC, everyone knows that it, yeah. it's always uh, something going on in there. And uh, lately, uh, you know, the western border of Pakistan was quite fragile as well. So uh, these sort of reasons, internally and externally, Pakistan was uh, quite busy, and anything politically goes uh, around in, in Pakistan, of course, uh, the people who are considered as establishment, who are considered as the main power yeah, hub yeah. of Pakistan's uh, political system, they, of course, never allow anything like that. Yeah. And I think, if I might add into uh, this, that, you know, in, 19, uh, in 1999, when the coup happened, it was something to do with that as well. That, you know, suddenly what we saw was the chief of army staff Pervez Musharraf at that time, he was visiting Sri Lanka and on his way back while yes. he was in the plane, uh, suddenly, you know, everyone heard that we had a, a change, slight change, I must say, <laughs> you know, uh, the new chief of army staff would be someone else. Yeah. And uh, as soon as, you know, this uh, news appeared after half an hour, uh, the TV went off and every, mm. I, I, I still remember I just came back from, uh, yeah. you know, a cricket ground. And as soon as I came back, nothing was going on on the PCB. Right. So that meant that there's some some problem. And okay. uh, later on in the night, I came to know that, you know, this, right. has, this has happened that Pakistan right. is under the martial law right, right now. Right, right. Just I, I appreciate. It. I, I just wanted to hang on because I, I've got Abdul Akbar with me here in the, in the studio. Abdul Akbar, you know, it travels quite frequently. Well, more than quite frequently, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, you, you're a, you're a yeah. person who has got quite cl very close links to Pakistan. You go to Pakistan a lot. I mean, I, I want to yeah. before I delve into the intricacies of all all the case itself, uh, the wider principle of justice, right? Uh, the wider principle yeah. in the in the confidence of the apparatus of a state itself, right? When people are looking into Pakistan, and, and you know, the, the the lack of confidence. Right, that you know, a lot of people will have when it comes to these things because these things, if you got the money, you could be arguing over the letter of the law until the cows come home, i.e., forever and ever. And the only thing that doesn't get meted out is is, is justice, right? Mm -hmm. What's your experience of yeah. going to Pakistan, especially recently with Imran Khan? He's been a, what, a year plus now for him, you know, the Medina model, all of this has been cited, but people are not seeing Medina model, people are not, not seeing this justice. You know, take a couple of minutes. Give, give me your perspective on things. I'm gonna, I, I, I like your question so much, I'm going to respond in Punjabi. Is that all right? Punjabi, okay. But no, seriously speaking, I mean, just before I come on to that, Harvisa, because that's a great question, I just want to quickly remind, I and mean, maybe um, Raja Faisal Saab can also um, affirm this, but you know, we mustn't forget that this is a bit of a tit-for-tat, this situation mm -hmm. with Musharraf and Nawaz Sharif. Obviously, who was an old rival that um, yeah. uh, Musharraf got rid of in the 1999 coup, as we mentioned. Mm. But you have to remember that when um, Nawaz Sharif was uh, re-elected in 2013, he's the one who initiated the trial against yeah. um, Pervez Musharraf. Exactly. And in, in March 2014, that's when he was charged for high treason. Now, mm. in my humble opinion, the reason why Musharraf got away um, with this particular death penalty wasn't because of um, the merits of the argument. Mm. The, uh, the merits were actually quite sound. You can't um, suspend, as uh, Fasal, Raja Faisal Sahib was just mentioning, you can't, it's, it's illegal to suspend mm. the constitution and impose emergency rule. And that high treason follows the charge of the death penalty. But here's the thing, 
this was a blunder from day one from a legality perspective. Mm. And this is mm. where Nawaz Sharif won because mm. they created what's called a special court, right? So it's a, it's a court yep. outside the normal fold of the legal hierarchy in Pakistan. And the effectively what happened is that um, it was all rigged. This is what Nawaz Sharif, uh, this is what um, uh, Pervez Musharraf's sure. legal yeah. team argued that, yeah. hey, this is politically motivated. Mm. This is not legally justified. This mm. is this Nawaz Sharif trying to get back at the guy mm. um, who kicked him out. Mm. And therefore, what's this? What's, what's this all? What's all this about the special court? What's mm. all this about um, the selection of the prosecution team? Mm. Um, so they proved to the judge's satisfaction mm. that special court and actually selecting. Uh, specific prosecutors mm. were looked a bit strange and obviously got the benefit of the doubt and mm. the judge threw out the death penalty. Mm. Um, I mean, Raja Faisal Sahib, what, what are your thoughts on that, on this blunder? Uh, just just before we come well, to Raja, I, I, Raja Faisal Sahib, just, just before we come to you, let, let me go to my listeners. I, I want to hear from my listeners. 01582481822. I mean, there's a lot of people out there listening from Pakistan, Pakistan background origins. You know, I want to hear from you what you make of all of this, you know, ping pong exercise, tit for tat, as a brother Abdul Akbar rightly calls it. 0779481822 for some SMS and WhatsApp messages. Straight over to you, Raja Faisal, sir, for your, for your thoughts on that question. Yeah, I, I fully agree with the brother uh, with inclusion of something that, you know, Article 6 of the uh, Constitution of Pakistan, it actually requires uh, the cabinet approval. If, if, some, if someone needs to be tried under Article 6, then cabinet must approve it. And this was discussed while, uh, you know, the case was going on in the, in the courts, and that's how they won the case. And uh, at that time in 2013, uh, cabinet of uh, Prime Minister uh, Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif at that time it was not consulted at that time. If they if for for Article Six they were supposed to be consulted, and uh, the second very uh, you know very important reason behind this is that the verdict verdict itself was a strange verdict and it was uh, it it actually attracted criticism in yeah. Pakistan and throughout the world I must say as well. Why? For his wording, was uh, it? The wording itself mm. it said that, you know, if, uh, if Musharraf dies somewhere else outside yes. of the country, yes. then his body must be brought to Pakistan yeah, and he should be hanged for three days yes. at the square, the chalk it's called, yes. and it's uh, basically a d democracy uh, square of Pakistan, it's quite famous. Yes. And uh, that's what the verdict was. Yes. The verdict is unconstitutional, verdict is unethical, verdict is yes. something which is which goes against the Geneva Conventions, which goes against the human rights. Yes. So that's why it's been criticized throughout the country. Yeah. And I believe these mm. two factors, they played mm. a key role yeah. in, uh, like, you know, just uh, putting aside. Yeah. Yeah, Raja Faisal, we get that. I, I, I myself, when I, when I read the wording of, of that verdict, I, I knew it's going to not, not only raise a lot of eyebrows, but you know, there's going to be a lot of suspicion around. You know, what, what is the motivating yeah, factor here? Is it, is it justice, or is it actually you know, uh, you know, character assassination and and trying to humiliate someone as an individual? But I think Abdul Akbar's point is valid. It's a, t a tit for tat yeah. game. That's that's what we see. We see a change of. We see a change of party, a change of rulership, and they will come, and then they will, you know, go after the others. All right, uh, and and everyone yeah, takes one, their. One more, one more very important thing, yes. and I think uh, it's relative, relevant enough, which I want to mention here, is the Oliver Cromwell case, 
who was actually Lord Proctor of uh, England. Right. It was, uh, I think, uh, uh, 17th century that he was taken out of his grave after three years of his death, right. and he was hanged in London. And why? Because he was someone uh, who was behind the murder of uh, King Charles I, because um, King Charles was beheaded in uh, uh, English civil war at that time. Mm. So I think uh, that's where they bought the idea. I mean, this right. uh, uh, Chief Justice of Peshawar uh, said, he actually got the idea from there. From, Bri from British history. So they've been very loyal to, they've been very loyal to their, their oh, yeah. former, from their, uh, from their, you know, former loyal colonialists, you know, right? Rather, rather than, rather than, uh, rather than practicing the good precedents of Britain, they are actually following the wrong precedents. Yeah. Well, okay, good or, or bad precedent. Okay, fair, fair enough. Let's leave that subjective. Uh, but let me come back to you, Rajasab. And then in terms of, you know, what, what, what rules Rules supreme in, in Pakistan. We've heard this special court in Islamabad. Now we're seeing the Lahore High Court, and then we've got the Supreme Court in Islamabad. I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm a bit confused here. You, you, you know, how, how, you know, what is the makeup? What, what is? Why can't we stick to, you know, the the institutions that exist within Pakistan and and take it, you know, logically like it, it would do in any other court of law in, in any other country, so that we get a fair and uh, you know a fair judgment. No, I think uh, uh, Supreme Court of Pakistan and just the system of Pakistan, it can be trusted upon right now. Mm. And uh, I, I believe the system here in Pakistan is that everything comes to Supreme Court for if anyone wants to, like, you know, put an appeal against that. And uh, as, you, as you know, that, you know, the case was uh, after the special courts, uh, the Musharraf uh, lawyers, they actually went to Lahore High Court and they... Uh, so, so why did they go to Lahore High Court and not to Supreme Court, for example? Yeah, now what is happening is Pakistan Bar Council, uh, Pakistan Bar Council's new chairman, Abed Saki, he actually belongs to Asma Jangi's group. And uh, Asma Jangi being someone who was uh, anti-establishment or anti-army, uh, he is actually going in Supreme Court against this verdict, the 13th January one I'm talking about. And he would be going against it. And at the same time, the very day, we, uh, Azhar Sadiq, who happens to be lawyer of uh, Musharraf, he appeared in front of Supreme Court and he put, a, put an appeal against uh, this case, uh, any, any case which actually comes uh, in the courts. Why? Because he, he simply says that, you know, he, wanted, he just wanted to be on the safe side. Mm. So the, the December verdict, he went against it in the Supreme Court. And at the same time, uh, Pakistan Bar Council is going into Supreme Court against the verdict which was, uh, you know, right. given in uh, so looks, the whole High Court. So everything would be coming to the right. Supreme so, Court. So, so, and so, I don't mm. think that anything would go... Uh, against Musharraf in this. Yeah. Uh, so, 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 Sahib, in 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 a nutshell, in in summary, if if yeah. I hear what what you're telling me, uh, what you're telling me is this theatre is about to continue for a long long time, and, and that that's my oh, point to you. My question is that you know the people, you know they've got their needs, they've got their problems, they have you know pressing issues with with high prices, they have pressing issues with high taxation, they have pressing issues with you know load shedding and and the same kind of problems that we've had for the 
the last 10 years, right? And you switch on the TV yeah. and it's the same theatre again and again. I, I mean, to, to what extent is this theatre all, you know, well, well orchestrated and managed to just divert the people constantly away from their daily problems to, to this theatre exactly. of politics? I mean, I mean, I, uh, let, let me be very, very fair and honest uh, to you. There are millions of cases in Pakistan which are pending. Mm. They are not taken up, uh, reason being, you know, them people, they are not important people. And uh, I have a couple of, uh, you know, references I, I just want to, like, you know, mention in your program that there was a case in Pakistan which took 23 years to decide and somebody was, uh, somebody was pronounced innocent after 23 years of spending in the jails. Wow. And there was someone else who was uh, pronounced uh, innocent after 18 years. And guess what? He was in the jail two years before, uh, you know, he was uh, pronounced innocent. He died in the jail. Wow. You know, we are living in such a country where these things happen with mm. uh, uh, with a common uh, man mm. or common people mm. and when it comes to the high profiles mm. their cases you know of course it's it's a political case and it has a more mileage and more uh, influence yes. but yes. you know at the same time i mean we need to think about it that mm. where do the common people go yeah yeah no no abs ab absolutely we, we appreciate that and and very la very quickly uh, last question for you raja faisal sab you obviously based from islamabad you you obviously you know live uh, from islamabad you interact with the people you know what, what is this making much headlines um, uh, you know distracting the people on on the street day to day lives you know what are the people saying about this case or is it something just that's continuing and people are you know what busy with their with their own pressing needs i tell you what most of the people of pakistan they have short-term memory short-term right? memory okay and they have forgotten about how uh, musharraf ruled and now i mean there are so many people on the roads you come across and they are not interested in it and mm. they are rather saying that you know we should not be uh these kind of verdicts should not be coming against uh, musharraf because he's a he's a He's our hero. He's our uh, war hero. He's someone who has fought mm. war for Pakistan, wars for Pakistan. Yeah. He has, uh, you know, ruled over country under the very uh, odd circumstances of Pakistan while Pakistan was uh, fighting war on terror. And people do have sentiments for him. Why? Because, you know, if someone, of course, it was a 10-year gap. And after 10 years, people, yeah. have, people, people have actually, uh, you know, forgotten about uh, yeah. What yeah. was happening at that time? Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Raja Faisal Saab from Islamabad. Absolutely lovely and uh, a privilege Thank speaking you. to you. Thank you very much for joining us this evening on Friday Night Live. Thank. Thank you very much. Okay, listeners. That was uh, Raja Faisal Saab, who's a correspondent from Islamabad. Lovely to hear from him directly. Uh, also great to get his views on this uh, ping pong uh, case of uh, Pr President Musharraf in uh, Pakistan. Uh, we've been looking at it from a wider perspective in terms of justice and, and you know what, what are the priorities uh, in Pakistan and what are the what are the people you know saying and speaking about. Uh, this particular case versus their depressing day-to-day -day needs. Uh, an interesting conversation by uh, and, uh, and, and views from uh, Raja Saab out in Islamabad. Really smart guy, really smart guy, really good analysis um, yeah. and I hope he can join us in the future. By the way, yeah. Harvest Shaban, I was just, uh, while you were having that great interview, I was just um, also getting a message from some of my contacts uh, in Pakistan mm. telling me this has got nothing to do with Perez Musharraf. Okay, but uh, Lahore has witnessed its coldest morning in 70 years. 
So we're What's talking about minus temperatures in Lahore. Wow. Um, from you know over the last 70 years, and um, yesterday morning was the coldest on record so for the last 70 years wow, in in so Lahore, wow. which is quite uh, amazing as wow. well. Incredible. Maybe that's a reflection of uh, the political climate. Very wow. cold. <laughs> very, very cold. <laughs> okay. Very hot, no, okay. In- interesting. Interesting news from uh, from Lahore. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, listeners, 0158248182. I uh, haven't heard from our listeners on, on this particular issue. I, I, I know uh, it can be a hot topic. And, and, and actually, the last point that Raja Faisal Saab made, which, which was with regards to short-term memory of uh, uh, the people, uh, I, I think there's, a, there's another aspect of it, and that is the affinity and, uh, and the emotional attachment a lot of the Pakistanis have with the military, uh, with the army. Uh, generally, the army is seen in, in a very positive light. Well, uh, historically, right? Uh, they are known to be people who are ready to, you know, sacrifice everything for the sake of uh, the nation, for the sake of Islam, uh, for the sake of uh, Pakistan, and therefore they've had a high esteem for for those reasons. I think recently, you know, the image of the Im- of the army has definitely been tainted as they've been become a lot more involved in the political and economic affairs of Pakistan, and people have seen that these people, wow, being a being a, a, forget being a career politician being a career military individual is the right route in Pakistan because it opens up your doors to all sorts of perks absolutely right? and you know I think at the end of the day um, the army needs to maintain its independence um, mm. for Pakistan to be successful mm. it shouldn't really delve into politics and if you speak to the current um, army generals they're unlikely to claim that they do or they aspire to but the reality is very different well, we, um, we need to have a deep dive on that one, one day on, on Friday and I'll have and ask some probing questions because you know when, when you talk about you know companies and corporates and, and, and institutions within a government being run by army for God's sake army speciality is the military is the defense is the for you know but it's, it's not to run institutions the, the army, even yeah. some yeah even yeah. some of these current generals who have got their posts as generals running you know, in institutions within, within government right but anyway that's for a, a later time we're going to go into a commercial break end of the first hour we're going to go into commercial break we'll be back and we've got a very interesting topic that we're going to be discussing when we come back don't go away until then you're listening to an inspire fm podcast making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on inspire fm Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to Friday Night Live uh, on this uh, Friday, the 17th of January evening. It's now just turned past 7 p.m. Uh, we are broadcasting as always on Inspire FM 105.1 FM 01582 is the number here in the studio. Uh, 0779481822 is the number for your social media messages, SMS messages, or your WhatsApp messages. Uh, just during the commercial break, I was probing uh, Abdul we're having a conversation with him with regards to our listeners uh, good to hear from you and, and we want to hear from you so inshallah you know do, do try to reach into us I've, I've got Abdul Akbar in the studio out of all people man I, 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 I would have I would have expected that to prompt a lot more engagement from our listeners say welcome back Abdul They're Akbar where, 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 where's your fan base Abdul Akbar bro? everyone is frozen outside I, I, I always on. had this perception you know you had this massive fan base Akhi, man. Oh, but it's you, all, you it's need all, to bring it back man. Have, have you taken that all out 
lot to the, to I, the UAE. I've only got three fans. I know my three daughters. Oh, mashallah. The the best fans to have, mashallah. Just before we we move on to our next topic, how's uh, you know for our listeners? Of course, you're currently based out in the in the UAE. How how's uh, mashallah the UAE? What, what's the the atmosphere on in in UAE at the moment with all the the heightened tension with with Iran at the moment. Alhamdulillah, it's okay. Mm. I mean, I mean the the UAE population are very kind of optimistic. Everyone tries to see the positive side. Obviously, with yeah. all the negativity going on around, mm. and I think hopefully um, there'll be continued stability or near stability in the region mm. as long as um, certain players don't do anything silly. No. Um, but you know, everyone's hope and prayer is that mm. we stay uh, peaceful in in the Gulf and the s- southwest of Asia. So that we don't do what some are predicting, which is realizing the vision of an overdue World War Three, mm. which is what some people mm. are saying. And mm. we just don't want to go down that route, especially yeah. with countries starting to grow, see growth, etc., etc. So inshallah, mm. um, there will be peace. Mm. Um, and continued peace in that region but um, only time will tell time will tell of course all right so we're, we're going to be moving on to our next topic uh, which is uh, a, a very pertinent topic actually a very very pertinent for all of our listeners for for me as an individual for brother Abdullah here in in the studio and uh, it, and and that is how will our lives end right how will our lives end and i just want you to pause and just reflect upon this question how will my life as an individual end? And I, and I tell you the reason why we're asking that question, because last couple of days, a lot of you would have seen a video uh, going around, being passed around on the social media uh, messages uh, of, a, of, a, of an elderly sheikh, right, who passed away whilst he was delivering a lecture. And in fact, not only delivering a lecture, but actually the words that he was uttering when he just, you know, falls to, to the side are the words of the shahada. And subhanAllah, that, you know, captured uh, the emotions the passions the sentiments of you know millions of people you know who of course are muslims and who would all you know i was going to say pay you know pay everything that they've got right just to ensure that their final moment is a moment when they are offering the, the, the kalima shahada they are offering an act of ibadah they're in sujood and you know what that is the moment that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala defines for them as the time when they are to meet their creator right but of course and you know the reality is just having those aspirations or just having those thoughts are not enough for us to guarantee that ending that that's the key thing isn't it just you know me saying it is not going to be a, a guarantee that you know that's the way I'm going to meet my end, right? Uh, there's a lot more that we need to probe further into it than just having that aspiration, right? And I mean, this individual, elderly uh, a man. I mean, in fact, if you know, I don't know if you read this, uh, Abdul Akbar, right? But then he was actually at a wedding congregation, right. Subhanallah, at a wedding congregation, and he was actually discussing the importance of marriage. Mm. And if you imagine, look, look at the context, right? Importance of marriage, and he's solemnizing a new wedding a new couple coming together and Allahu Akbar it is at the same moment when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking him away right and he's uttering the words of reminder he's giving the da'wah and he's saying the kalima and with those words with those words Allahu Akbar he you know Allah chose for him to meet his creator he just falls asleep right I mean I've seen the video and I remember I remember replaying it like three or four times Uh. 
just to see what happened there because yeah. it's not very clear what yeah. goes on. Yeah. But you see him saying Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, and then you're like, is it him yeah. saying it? Is it the people around yeah. him saying it? Yeah. It's it's not very clear. But mashallah, it's a, it's a really amazing way to die. And one of the yeah. du'as that we should make to Allah yeah. Subhanahu wa Taala is that Ya Allah, give us a good ending. Yeah. Give us a great ending, you know, mm. because um, I, we don't know how we're going to end. Mm. And I think we need to make that du'a that Allah takes our soul in a mm. way that he befits as successful. Mm. Absolutely. Oh. It was absolutely. So that's the question. How will we meet our Lord, our, our Creator? Now, I don't want to make uh, the Sheikh hold on any longer, but uh, subhanAllah, to help us navigate through this subject, to, to, to shed some light on this subject, we're going to be asking a number of questions, me and Abdul Akbar, to the Sheikh. And, and we want the Sheikh to guide us because, yes, we all want this aspiration, but how do we, you know, go about, you know, getting that, you know, you know that, that kind, of, kind of ending? How do we get that kind of ending from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what are the type of actions what, what, what is that is required from us uh, joining us live is uh, Shaykh Haytham Al-Haddad uh, let me first welcome the Shaykh to Friday Night Live not the first time you've joined us mashallah Shaykh Jazakallah Heron and Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh Wa Alaikum Assalam Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh Jazakallah Khair brothers and sisters Jazakumullah Khairan for actually bringing this issue and uh, subhanallah as you have said that uh, this video uh, was translated actually into a number of languages and it was circulated almost everywhere even al jazeera yeah al jazeera news yes. they uh, uploaded that with some comments subhanallah wow, subhanallah so so first and foremost sheikh before we we, we dive into the, the the details inshallah i've got brother abdul akbar also in in the studio with me sheikh and oh, and also we will, we're going to inquire about your health mashallah how are you sheikh how are you, how are you keeping mashallah our du'as are with you inshallah it's always fantastic to hear from you i i, I asked the team here in inspire that we need to invite you here in person inshallah we want we want to spend some time with you here inshallah so maybe in the future it is my pleasure if you are driving past a, a luton you're heading in the north direction inshallah do stop and and pay us a visit inshallah, inshallah in the future definitely definitely but but, but sheikh uh, okay so so we've seen this video all right and a lot of the people are seeing this video and a lot of us you know the first thing that we say is that you know we we aspire we all we raise our hands and we say oh allah give us give us a an ending like like this ending right uh, yeah. so we ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but it's not just enough asking allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is it well, give us some guidance in terms of the, you know how can we how can we you know ask but also expect that kind of ending from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yeah. First of all, let me mention who this person is. This person is of a Palestinian origin. He lives in Al-Kuwait. And right. on that day, some people said, SubhanAllah, I was reading about uh, his biography by a person who knew him from Kuwait. And he sent that biography today, SubhanAllah. So. And... Uh, they said that this person, he was about to leave uh, Kuwait forever because the system there, unfortunately, that if the person reaches a particular age and he's not a citizen, then he has to leave the country. Right. I hope that, inshallah, this will change soon. Okay. Uh, this person, uh, the, he was a, 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 a speaker, a sheikh, uh, I don't know whether we can classify him as a scholar or not, but that is not really yes. that important. Yes. But he was a person always 
preaching to people and advising them. Not only that, the key point about the life of this person that he was a person of the community. Hmm. And they said that he would help everyone, uh-huh. old, young, uh, uh, the, the, the sick people. This person who t- wrote about his biography, he said, whenever there is a sick person, especially if he's from a Palestinian origin, or he lives in that area, this sheikh would go and visit him, whether he knew him or he doesn't know him. And mm. then he would do some ruqya and recitation of Quran and give, you know, uh, an inspiration mm. uh, words to the deceased. And he said, I have seen him visiting some people like this, and he would buy some sweet and he would give it to the children around him. Whenever mm. there is a sick person, whenever there is uh, a wedding, he would go and advise them. If there is a marriage breakdown, he would work hard in order to reconcile between both of them. He was a person who was working for the ummah, for the community mm. that he lived in. So, uh, it was amazing to know that this person lost his eldest son, Khattab, and his grandson, his first grandson, in a fire. Allah. And this person who wrote about his biography said his son Khattab, rahimahullah, he was a friend of mine, and he died with his son. Yeah, and yes. we went to give condolences to Sheikh Abu Al Khattab, and we found him with full sabr, seeking Allah. the reward of that musiba with so, Allah Jalla. So. Now, why I mentioned these things because it is very un- very important to understand. Uh, the context of any incident mm. and to understand the the history and to understand the background of the person mm. because if we understand that this person is a person who wanted to help others mm. yeah yes uh, and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wa sallam said i i want my brothers and sisters to listen to this mm. i mentioned that this person might not be classified as a scholar yes. yeah that is not the key thing. The key thing is not the amount of knowledge. Mm. The key thing is the amount of intention and effort the person is putting in order to uh, please Allah Jalla no. Yeah, and no. especially mm. helping others. Mm. The Prophet mm. was asked once, what is the best of deeds? and who is the best of people. The Prophet ﷺ said, as the best of deeds is to, to uh, or as of the best of people, the best of people is the best for people. Mm. And as the best of deeds, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in a long hadith that the best of deeds is to help a brother, to feed a, a hungry person, yes. to carry uh, the, the, the goods of a person who is unable to carry. To make a Muslim happy, mm. the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that. These are the best of deeds, mm. my dear respected brothers and sisters. The best of people is the best for people. Mm. So when this person lived this, he was not just preaching and talking about mm. it. He was walking the talk. Right. He was actually 
resembling the Prophet mm-hmm. who was the best of us in everything and in akhlaq, but he was transforming those akhlaq into practice in every right, step right. in his life. Okay, okay, Sheikh, so j- 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 just, doing that. Right. Let me just mention, okay, go on. If, go I, on. if I may okay. So, if we really want Allah Jalla to take our soul mm. while we are doing good deeds, mm. then we should be close to Allah Jalla in general, and we should love those deeds that we would like Allah Jalla to take mm. our soul while we are performing them. Excellent. And we should do them as much as we can. Yes. We heard of people who die in sujood yes. because they used to die sujood mm. and mm. They, they used to love sujood. Mm. We heard of people who die when they were fasting because they were fasting a lot. Yes. We heard of some people who died in the middle of the night when they were praying because they were mm. doing a lot of prayer at night. And this person died while he was helping people to get mm. married because this Allah one Akbar. is main love. Allah Akbar. Allah Akbar. Incredible. Incredible. I, I'm just going to stop ask you to pause there, Sheikh. Not because we, we, we don't want to listen to you. We want to listen to you. But we just want to now absorb that information that you've just given us, right? We want to absorb that because that, that's, you're, you're, you're heading in that direction of answering the bigger question, which is how do we achieve uh, such an end, right? Uh, you've given us a lot to di- digest, right? For our listeners to digest, for me to digest, for us to digest, right? And the key thing that you were emphasizing there is, you know, being, you know, having that complete personality, being a people's person, being involved with your community, being there helping one another, right? You know, the best of deeds, as you as you emphasize, is being there for for others, right? Helping others, uh, and I and I think you know, over and beyond, you know, fulfilling our obligations. Of course, we have to fulfill those obligations, and I think that is very key for us to really emphasize that, right? To to our listeners that, you know, nothing is achieved just by wishing. Yeah, you don't you don't achieve nothing in life just by wishing. I wish I was a millionaire. You sit at home and yeah. wish as long as you like. You won't become a millionaire unless Allah has already written that rizq for you, right? You you want to yeah. become a medical doctor. It it doesn't it doesn't happen like that. You have to go and take the practical steps to become a medical doctor. And in the yeah. same way, we want our akhirah and our we want our final moments to be the best of final moments. But yeah, I don't pray. I don't give a sadaqah. I don't do X, Y, and Z. How can you expect your final moments to be like that? It's a wish. It's it's a we're dead dreaming right it's not going to happen so the first thing is reflect upon my life reflect upon you know my lifestyle and ask the question where are you spending your day and your 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 efforts right and if that's where your predominant priorities and efforts are then that's where you can expect your uh, final moments almost to be in Right, yes. so so that that's the the first point, you know, the the opening points that you're you're mentioning. Abdullah Akbar, I want to bring you also into it, right? You're you're very deep in thought, mashallah. If any of our listeners are watching us on Facebook Live, you know, you, you gotta you gotta watch, uh, you gotta see Abdullah Akbar. He's very deep in, in in thought at the moment, as I as I was too, listening to the just Sheikh. Processing, right? mashallah, Sheikh Haytham, oh, oh, may Allah Subhanahu wa Taala bless you as well, Sheikh, because we've been learning from you for many years, and and your counsel, and your and your and your um, guidance as well, and, and your interpretation of the guidance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you and your family for, for lending us even this time. But Sheikh, I, honestly, when I hear this story, for me, um, like Hafiz Shaban was mentioning, it's about not just the community, but not just going out of your way to help others before maybe even you do something for yourself. But at the, tam- ta- at the same time, it's about assuming the best of others and wanting the best for others as well. 
what, what came to yeah. my mind was the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. And again, I'm, I'm not quoting this, but I'm just giving the general gist of it. Where when a man walked in, the Prophet ﷺ was sitting with his companion, Sheikh. And you, you can remind us here. And um, a man walked in and, and, the, and the Prophet ﷺ said, this man is going to enter paradise. And then the Sahaba, um, you know, long story short, went up to the man and said, what do you do? Like, what's your day like? Mm. And he said, me, I don't do anything special. Mm. Um, you know, I pray five times mm. a day. I fast mm. in the month of Ramadan. Uh, I give charity when it's due. Mm. Um, but you know what? There's one thing that I do mm. that I definitely do before I go to sleep. And that is I have no hatred in my heart for anyone mm. before I go to sleep. So SubhanAllah, this is about assuming and wanting the best mm. for everyone. And I, even if we look at the Muslim yeah. Ummah, even if we look at our own lives, we have some issues with somebody somewhere. Mm. There's some grudge with a family member or a relative mm. or another person, another human. And these things we need to extinguish. But Sheikh, I have this question for you, if I may, Hafiz Shaban, yep. yeah, yeah. which yep. is a really important one. And I think it's reflective of everyone listening, including myself, which is some, sometimes we feel that we are too sinful to actually be redeemed. Mm. We are too sinful to actually, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to afford us a, a, a good death. Some of us feel, feel we don't meet the bar, we'll never meet the bar. It's a bit like those who don't go on hajj. Some people refuse, to, uh, delay going on Hajj, mm. don't refuse, but they delay mm. going on Hajj mm. because they think they are not at a certain level yet. And therefore, yeah. until they get to that level, then they will go on Hajj. Mm. Check, what's your counsel? Yeah. What's your guidance to those yeah. thinking like yeah. this? Yeah, Jazakallah Khair. Actually, this is a very, very important question. My dear respected brothers and sisters, first of all, uh, I want to say that Allah is so merciful. Yeah, this is a misconception for us. We, m many people, when they talk about Allah, they view as if Allah is waiting to seize them and mm. to punish them and to destroy them and to throw them in hellfire. This is a wrong perception about Allah. This is a matter related to our aqidah, our creed. Mm -hmm. Allah is Rahman Rahim. The most frequent verse that we read is Bismillah, what? Ar Rahman Ar Rahim. Mm -hmm. no, no. Uh, the the uh, most frequent chapter that we read starts with Bismillah, Rahman Ar Rahim. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Again, Ar Rahman Ar Rahim. The mm -hmm. most kind, the most merciful. Allah says that He will accept the repentance of any single person, even if he or she, they are the most evil people, mm. as far as the day of resurrection did not take place, or the ruh or the spirit or the, the life of the person did not come to the very last end. Allah Jalla can accept the, the repentance of any human being, even the most evil people, as we said. Yes. So, uh, and not only that, Allah Jalla says, come to me walking, I will come to you running. Mm. Subhanallah, who? Subhanallah. Our Lord, the supreme being, the one whom we are in need of, not he is in need of us. He says, come to me, I will come even quicker to you. Mm. Come that close to me, I will get even closer to you. Mm. So, my dear respected brothers and sisters, we need to show good, positive attitude with Allah Jalla Ala. Mm. 
and we should not say that we are evil in our, we are evil and Allah Jalla will not forgive us or we are not uh, we are not good enough for Allah to uh, to to yes. to forgive us and to accept our repentance yes. this is a misconception mm. and it is uh, a deception by the shaitan mm. in order to let people delay their repentance and stop people from doing so so many good deeds yes. and my dear respected brothers and sisters when you say as you said uh, some people say oh i'm not ready for hajj or some people say i will pray mm. who knows do you know when are you going to die mm. like this person subhanallah generally speaking he's healthy he was elder person yes mm. but was he expecting to die while he was giving the uh, th this lecture or this reminder in a wedding impossible mm. he never thought of it and even the attendees okay have they ever thought that he will die on that moment mm. does anyone know when he or she they are going to die can i confirm that i will be living until tomorrow no then why do i need to delay my repentance mm. my dear respected brothers and sisters just repent every mm. single moment repent to allah jalla allah jalla says watubu ila allah jami'an ayyuhal mu'minuna la'allakum tuflihun all of you repent to allah jalla who you believe so you yes. may be successful right. the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam who is the best of humanity used to repent to allah jalla 70 times or 100 times every day Allah so my dear respected brothers and right. sisters don't delay it. okay go to allah Jalla have befriend allah Jalla wallahi when you live with allah Jalla you will enjoy your life Allah when you live away from allah Jalla life will become miserable yes. for you and right. the only solution is to run from allah towards allah Right, run towards Allah. Okay, okay, okay. Sheikh Barakalafik, we we are about to go into commercial break, uh, but uh, we still have ten more minutes with you, inshallah. I believe after the commercial break. So I know you need to go at seven forty for Salat al Isha. Uh, so if is, you excuse me after the commercial break, yes, yeah, yes, if oh. that is possible. I need maybe. Okay. Go now. okay, okay, fine, fine. Inshallah, ta'ala. Okay. Yes, yes. Jazakallah, and Sheikh. Jazakallah, We really appreciate your time and Jazakallah for that reminder. Inshallah, ta'ala. Uh, until next time, Inshallah. Jazakallah, Assalamu alaikum. Okay, Okay, uh, listeners, that, that was Sheikh Haytham Al-Haddad, mashallah, may Allah bless uh, the Sheikh, uh, who was uh, kindly who joined us for the last 25 minutes, giving us a very pertinent reminder uh, with regards to uh, this video, or with regards to you know how our life uh, may end, uh, and, and what are the steps that we need to take if we want from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that our last final moments should be moments in ibadah, moments in in uh, in a positive, you know, uh, an action, something 
which is praiseworthy to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know what, what is it that is incumbent upon us when we come back from the commercial break I'm going to continue that conversation with Abdullah but because there was a couple of other points that I wanted to raise uh, but because we're going to go into a commercial break I'm, I, I'm just going to quickly bring in uh, an updated SMS message mashallah that we've received so let's just take that uh, and uh, okay so brother Abdullah Akbar I welcomed you I know I'm not a, and I can't be a fan like your daughters but I did miss you and I believe all the listeners did alhamdulillah so a fantastic message there uh, but but it doesn't actually stop there but of course I've lost that screen now so I can't continue <laughs> reading it uh, but I didn't but I didn't want to say much because I don't want to hurt Hafiz Shaban <laughs> right so but um, I'm a fan of both of you brothers and all those involved with Inspire FM mashallah Jazakallah Heron brother Sarwar and any uh, any of uh, other listeners if you want to join in today's conversation and even that reminder mashallah that was very profound we're going to come back to that after commercial break because there's a lot there to uh, digest and absorb 01582481822 481822 is the number for SMS and WhatsApp inshallah we're going to go in a, into a commercial break in about 10 seconds uh, and then when we come back inshallah we'll revisit this topic and then we're also going to be discussing about eco-friendly massages eco-friendly massages right uh, so that's the topic for to for us to discuss when we come back until uh, the, until we come back assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh assalamu alaikum this is Atif Nawaz and you're listening to an Inspire FM podcast Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu and uh, welcome back to Friday Night Live with me, uh, Hafiz Shaban and brother Abdul Akbar here in the studios. Uh, it is Friday the 17th of January 2020 uh, and we are now in the last half now, in the last 25 minutes of the show. Still not too late to get involved, 01582. Uh, and especially if you're an Abdul Akbar fan, 01582481822. Four of those now, my daughters and brothers. Four of those, right? <laughs> and, and you know, let, let's get a competition out there, Achim, man. Let, let, let's see who's got the f- bigger fan base, man. Oh. Is it is it Hafiz Shaban or is it Abdul Akbar on Friday Night Live? I'm a novelty, Achim. I'm a novelty. I'm a I'm a newcomer, new, newcomer to the block. <laughs> but anyway, zero one five eight two four eight one eight double two is the number here in the studio. Zero triple seven nine zero triple seven nine four eight one eight double two. We we want to see a, a show of hands on social media right we want to see a, so, a show of hands on social media all the eyes for Abdul Akbar and all the nose for, for for the other one whatever his name was 0779481822 mashallah it's been a, a lovely evening and a, and, a, and a great evening with Abdul Akbar here in the studios mashallah uh, really really enjoyed the, the conversation up until now and, and in particularly uh, the last half an hour was quite incredible, uh, Brother Abdul Akbar. Y- your thoughts on, um, you know, I, I know there, w- there was a lot to absorb, a lot to digest, right, uh, from, from that conversation. But, but l- let's get some reflections on that because, uh, unfortunately, I thought we are going to have uh, Sheikh Haytham on for uh, slightly longer. But the Sheikh had to go and prepare for uh, Salatul Aisha. Uh, you know, you, were you able to digest and absorb, and uh, you know, you know, conjure up some thoughts on uh, on that last half an hour? It was deep. Honestly, Harvest Shaban, it was very deep and lots of processing. I'm sure um, that we were both going through. Mm. But you know, there's one sentence. There's, the, mm. there's that hadith that the Sheikh mentioned, which is kind of summarizes it all for me. Mm. Which is uh, the men- the best amongst the people are mm. those 
who are the most beneficial to the people. Yeah. And that's where we need to aspire to be. We need yeah. to be useful to others. Yeah. There's a common mindset. And it's mm. all about the mind. If you mm. think about it, mm. the difference between somebody who is quote unquote successful mm. and somebody who is quote unquote unsuccessful mm. is in their mindset. Mm. You know, sometimes there are going to be two types of people. One is mm. the proactive person and one is the reactive person. Mm. Imagine you're in a room and the corner of the room is leaking. Yeah. Mm. The reactive person will say, oh, yeah, uh, it's leaking, but the, the roof isn't falling down, mm. right? Um, it's it's going to be fine. The reactive person will wait until the roof falls down, mm. and then he's going to do something about it. Mm. The proactive person will say, oh, this roof is leaking. Yeah. This is a sign for me to go and get a plumber and find the cause of this issue. And I think our mm. lives are like that. Allah is mm. giving us signals all the time through mm. our children, through our life events, whether they may be good or whether they may be a test. Because remember, everything good and bad mm. is mm. a test. Mm. We are being tested by our creator. Mm. And those of us who really want to just chill out and relax and are content with the job, content with the salary, content with the car, content with the family. Mm. If you're one of those people, mm. then you're reactive. Mm. Because Allah will one day... Allah forbid that Allah doesn't give you a calamity, but will one day test you yes. to see which of us mm. are the best in conduct when we need Him mm. and when we turn to Him. And Allah gives us these tests. Mm. My test was that my mother passed away mm. around exactly eight months uh, to this day, in fact. So, uh, and inna lillahi wa inna ilahi raji'un. Allah, we come into Allah, we return. Mm. But it's a test. And I tell mm. you, Hafiz Shiban, mm. when I lost my mother, Mm. Um, obviously, my father is still alive. He's quite old. But when I mm. lost my mother, mm. I literally did not feel and didn't feel I had to exercise patience like I had to do when I lost my mother. Uh -huh. You know, people say, oh, may yeah. I give you patience. Yeah. I was mm. used to saying that to brothers mm. when, they, when they lost mm. you know, relatives, mm. etc. May I mm. give you patience. May I mm. give you patience. You don't know the meaning of patience Absolutely. until you lose your mother Absolutely. or you lose a child. Yeah. That's yeah. when Allah tests you and says, yeah. right, right, now what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. Now what do you do? Will you come mm. back to me mm. even though this has mm. happened to you? Right. Or will you turn away from mm. me? Subhanallah. Uh, absolutely. MashaAllah, subhanAllah. Very, very, very profound, uh, very, very deep point. Uh, and the point there is that we, sh we need to have our heart conditioned, right? Uh, and our hearts and our minds and our personalities conditioned before we hit that. Kind of you know those tests and those trials because you can't expect to suddenly control your hearts and your minds and 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 console your hearts and your minds uh, and provide them solace when you haven't you know when you haven't absorbed them in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa taala in the in the run up to these kind of events. You're it's not like going to pass an exam unless you revise. You revise, right? right? Yeah. You know, I throw you into a marathon, you're going to collapse, Akhi. You're not going to be able to complete the marathon. You have to condition yourself, and it's all about conditioning yourself. The whole subject matter of how will our life end is how are we living our lives? Isn't that a, a more pertinent question? How are we living our lives, right? Because how will your life end? You can't answer that question. No. You can't answer that question because you don't have that knowledge. You don't have the control. But if I ask you the question, how are you living your life today? You can answer that question Absolutely. because you've got the control over how you're living your life. And then we have the expectation 
upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we're living our life in a positive way and we ask oh Allah allow us to pass you know pass away the way we're living or the the, the positive or you know aspects of, of, of our life whether it's our ibadah or is our, is, is our, is, you know uh, charity or our fasting and and these good deeds so that that is the moment that you choose when we pass away and that is very very important right absolutely Hafiz mm. Hair-raising stuff. And I'll tell you one other thing, mm. if I may, mm. which is when you pass away, or if you think about people who have died before mm. us. Mm. Now, even this brother in this viral video, mm. this uh, sheikh that mm. passed away as he was speaking to the wedding guests, mm. and he said, La ilaha illallah, shadu mm. an la ilaha illallah, and then he slowly passed away. Mm. What are we talking about when we mention him? Are we talking about what car he drove? Yeah. Are we talking mm. about how much money he earned? Mm. Are we talking about which designer clothes he wore? Are we mm. talking about how many children he had? No. Mm. We are talking about his deeds. Yeah. We're talking about how he was, look at the sheikh, how he was with the community. Yeah. What he did and what impact he had on those around him. That's what people remember. Yeah. If you think about your aunties and uncles or parents who have passed away, you're going to remember them by their actions, by their deeds. Mm. And that's effectively how you want to be remembered. Imagine you were attending your own funeral. Imagine oh. you were work, walking through a, uh, a congregation in a mosque and you see people surrounding a coffin. And you mm. look in that coffin and guess who you see? You see yourself. And then your best friend stands up as the speaker to offer a reminder. Mm. And he speaks about you. What do you want that person to say? Mm. What do you want them to say about you? Hard you want them to you. say, yeah. oh, mashallah, um, brother X was um, a great driver of a BMW 5 Series 2019. Mm. Mm. Or do you want him to say, subhanAllah, brother X mm. was a charitable person. Brother mm. X was somebody who I could rely on. Mm. Somebody who I could tell um, my secrets to mm. and he would give me solemn advice somebody I could go to mm. and he would help me with my debts somebody mm. I could go to who would take away my struggles mm. this is how we want to be remembered mm. surely yeah that's yep. how we need to live Barakallah Fiqh, uh, Brother Abdul Akbar, deep stuff, mashallah. And, uh, you know, we, we could discuss this for a long time, but, uh, you know, we've, we've got a guest on, on, on the line too. Uh, uh, strangely enough, the time that I was given was 7.45, right? So we've got 7.38 and they've already uh, got the guest on. But So let, let, let's move on to the next topic, inshallah. Uh, interesting topic. We'll have we'll, we'll, a quick discussion and we may come back to this uh, earlier subject matter. Uh, and, and this is something that caught my attention uh, this week. And it's a seminar that's coming up on uh, eco-mustards, eco-mosques seminar now th this is a very interesting concept right because of course it's been brought to light uh, with the inauguration uh, recently of the masjid in Cambridge right uh, it's obviously made a lot of headlines for a lot of different reasons a the costs involved uh, b, the, the architecture ph phenomenal architecture uh, and c also the kind of eco-friendly architecture and engineering that's actually driven their design and you know the, the you know the, the the building and the construction of the masjid phenomenal my son we went there on a school trip last week and I tried to get some of that information out of him but as you can imagine speaking to a six-year-old <laughs> understanding <laughs> those kind of dynamics is gonna be a bit difficult right so we've got we've got someone on, on the on, on the phone uh, we've got Ben who's the co-chair of the city circle let me let me welcome uh, Ben to Friday Night Live as uh, brother Ben and and welcome to uh, Friday Night Live this evening 
Shalom Aleikum. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much for, for joining us. And, and thank you very much also for your patience because the, 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 the production team put you on very early. And, uh, no, the, the, no, wor- no worries at all. No, it's quite interesting listening to the, uh, the discussion there. Oh, fantastic. Really appreciate that. And thanks for, for those positive words, right? So, uh, so tell us more about this Eco Mosque seminar. And, 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 and as I say, it caught my attention because um, of, of course, this lovely masjid in Cambridge and, and, and you know what I've been reading about the masjid in Cambridge and, and the engineer, phenomenal engineering behind that masjid the design uh, the consideration with, with regards to the, the the environment in in the in the, in, in the coming together of the, of that particular masjid and of course it's a kind of a a concept that you are discussing and and want to kind of uh, you know expand to other masjids I, I i guess um yeah that's right um i i haven't visited the cambridge mosque myself mm. and it's as you were mentioned there i mean it's had a lot of publicity, lots of very positive publicity um, since it opened in spring of last year. Um, and I think the reason that we wanted to organise this talk um, was really um, was really sort of based on a few things. I mean, firstly, we all know you've only got to switch on the news and the climate crisis is at the top of the headlines. Mm. And that's going to probably be one of the issues that defines this decade. Um, and it, affects, it affects everything. And so... Um, as Muslims, we're obviously obliged to use the use the world's use the Earth's resources um, sparingly and carefully and in a sustainable way. And so, this talk is really looking at how we can make our mosques as sustainable as possible. I mean, both in the both in the design and construction, as you were talking about there, mm-hmm. but also in terms of how they operate day to day um mm. i mean a mosque is a mosque may last for I, I don't know sort of maybe 50 years or so um and most mosques sort of expand over the course of time as a community um enlarges yeah. and so we want to think about things like energy consumption how do we make it zero emissions how do we use sort of efficient environmentally friendly lighting and heating mm. um obviously we're using a lot of water for um, for wudu, um, mm. and when people have been fasting, you need to um, sort of provide them with food and food and drink. But how do we do that? Mm. Um, I mean, a lot of mosques um, during Ramadan, for example, will be throwing out lots of plastic bottles, lots of mm. disposable cups and plates yes. and everything. Um, and if you do that sort of every night over the course of thirty nights, um, that that's a huge amount of waste going to going to landfill. Yeah. Um, so we're really thinking about. Um, the issues, firstly, around how we sort of design a mosque and build it sort of from the, from the ground up, thinking yeah. about as many of those things as we can yeah. before anybody sort of puts a spade in the ground. Um, mm. But also then, as I say, over the coming, over the years and decades following, yeah. how we can make mosques as environmentally sustainable as possible. Yeah. And thinking about as well, I mean, obviously the Cambridge Mosque is great example where there's been a clean slate and there's been funding to to develop a completely new mosque but i mean for a lot of our existing mosques um the answer isn't to to knock them down and start again it's about how do we change our practices Mm. how can we do things differently sort of with the with the building and with the framework that we've got Mm. fantastic i mean there's a very very important subject matter yeah it's something that next week we're we're hoping to do a bit of a a further deep dive into it and, and look at some of the practicalities behind it but you're right from an operational perspective 
masajids being you know at the center of the community very very busy places and and and, and i would imagine large consumers of a lot of those uh, natural resources uh, very pertinent questions a I mean, question if i may have a yeah. shaman really quickly mm. uh, i'm i'm personally not bought by this idea i, mm. I think it's interesting mm. i think obviously being environmentally aware and mm. um uh, environmentally practicing it is important and yeah. caring for your environment is everything that every yeah. good muslim should aspire mm. towards mm. at the same time my view on the mosque yes uh, we should look for examples of how we can actually make mosques more sustainable mm. and, and friendlier to the environment yeah. but for me it's about the content in the mosques how mm. can we get the best qualified imams, English sure. speakers yeah. that connect with the audiences yeah, yeah. more so. I mean, I'm not saying it's not a priority, yeah. but the grand list of priorities for yeah. me, um, the whole kind of environmental sustainable mosque thing, yeah. eco-mosque, yeah. It's, it's very headline grabbing. But it's, it's but for it's, you to wish list item as opposed to the top of the priority. It's, it's Is that not what you're needle saying? moving in terms yeah. of change, in my right. humble opinion. All right. So let, let me come to, to Ben on, on that. But but uh, you know, the question that I was going to raise to Ben. OK, so the, the, here's something else for you to digest, uh, you know, which is, you know, presented to you by my, my, my co-presenter in the studio, Ben, uh, Abdul Akbar. But, but also, I, I am finding from my visitations of, of different massages, you know, massages and, and the management teams becoming a lot more cognizant of, of this factor, right? So you're, you're seeing signs go up with, in, in the wudu areas, for example, be, you know, conscious of how much water you're ut utilizing, right? Uh, you I don't know, think that's yeah. environmental, though. That's more to save the bills. Fair enough, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I'm also seeing, you know, uh, some operational change or, or practice changes, which is also maybe it's you know you know cost benefit analysis that's you know kind of influencing that but maybe it's also the climate which is you know away from the paper towels to for example not you know the old system of towels right uh, and, and more to dryers as opposed to paper i mean i mean the, the, there's a, you, you know, get that muslim who comes along who uses it to wipe his feet we've got a struggle on, on our hands but 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 ben i mean i mean are you finding that i mean i know you're exploring it this seminar is about exploring it rather than you know coming with with decisions and judgments and trends, right? But but what what what's your reading into what you're seeing at the moment as, as a trend from massages? I think, um, and from the the mosques I've seen, I think there are. I think everybody's trying to sort of probably do their best and take baby steps. And mm. um, I in my mosque last year um, sort of moved away from um, moved away from having sort of plastic disposable. Um, and knives and forks and cutlery during during Ramadan mm. um, to encouraging people to bring their own knives and, and forks and to sort of take them away and, and wash them up. Mm. Um, now, if you think there might be sort of five six hundred people per yeah. night, yeah. I'm thirty nights. So I'm I'm not brilliant at math or arithmetic, mm. but that's a lot of plastic waste. Yeah. Um, I'm just coming back to what uh, what your other presenter Abdul Akbar was was saying there. Yeah. Um, I don't think that prioritizing environmental issues in any way conflicts with or sort of ought to be in competition with other issues which you which you rightly raise around sort of making sure that imams are um, are giving khutbah that are as relevant as possible to to muslims kind of who have been born and raised and are living their lives in in the uk i think those things go hand in hand and i think as well um i think as well in the UK and in Europe, we're probably a bit more environmentally aware 
um, and we're probably sort of building environmental regulation into sort of how we how we manage things and how we run our lives, maybe more so than um, in other parts of the world. And if imams have not trained here, they might themselves not be sort of in, have that ingrained in their their own culture and their own their own way of thinking. Mm. Okay, uh, I mean the the other thing was uh, I was going to you caught me slightly by surprise, is I mean some of the other areas that you're exploring. I mean you you've obviously got a Cambridge Mas- Masajid representative coming to the to the seminar and uh, and and and, 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 and someone else I, I believe to to that particular seminar. What, what's the lineup for for the, for that conversation? Um, well, we've got we've got two speakers and possibly another who may confirm over the next couple of days, inshallah. Um, so Shahida Rahman is, um, as you mentioned, she's a trustee at the Cambridge Mosque Trust. So she's right. been involved sort of right from the start in in terms of that project in, in Cambridge. And uh, I mean, I, I haven't uh, visited the mosque in Cambridge, as I say, um, but it'll be interesting to hear from her sort of at, at each stage of um, the project what they had to, what they had to consider and I'll be really interested to hear about sort of what um, what challenges they came up against and mm. what things they had to work around what solutions they had to find was was budget an issue I mean does it cost substantially more sort of either in the construction of a mosque or in the operation over the sort of 10 years following Mm-hmm. Um, to 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 make it more environmentally friendly, I would have thought. I'm not I'm not an engineer. I'm not an expert, but I would have thought that, say, for example, building any building with um, good insulation and making good use of natural light and trying to make sure that it's not losing all its uh, all its heat, mm-hmm. um, will over the over the course of the building's lifetime, um, I'm both both save a lot of money on the on the heating bill, um, but also um, sort of reduce the reduce the environmental impacts and reduce the the, the carbon emissions associated mm. with it. Mm. Um, yep. The other the other speaker who we're going to be hearing from is um, Cameron Shazad. Um, so he's from the Bahu Trust. Um, in he's based in Birmingham, and he's I mean he's he's a real environmentalist and he's he, he's involved with all sorts of things. Um, but one one project that he's involved with. Is he's a champion for an organisation called Faith for the Climate, which is an interfaith organisation, um, bringing people together from from different faith backgrounds, but looking at how um, how faith can sort of inform and drive environmental change, and also how we can how we can make places of worship and sort of religious activities as as environmentally as friendly as possible. So he's going to be looking at sort of different examples, although obviously the Cambridge Eco Mosque is the first dedicated sort of purpose-built eco mosque in in not just in the uk but in europe actually um but he's going to be able to to talk around other examples of trying to make mosques greener kind mm. of across the uk right right yeah i'm just looking at the website at the moment so you can see uh, renewable energy community cleanups plastic free campaigns so quite quite a lot under under the heading environment for 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 um, for a masjid or, or for a trust which which is interesting i mean i i think as as i was saying earlier i mean the, 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 definitely the masajids are getting a lot more cognizant of, of course as you said it's a big agenda item for for the political leaders i mean it's great to see that the masajids are doing something 
despite all of the challenges that Abdul Akbar has raised that the masajids have and of course they're, they're the, green on the outside <laughs> now they just need to be green on the inside <laughs> exactly <laughs> that, that, that's a good one that that's fantastic yeah, yeah. yeah they've been green on the outside for a long time it's about time we turn internally green which is great operational side of it I, I, I think you know that there is this you know pertinent question around you know if it can save you money then of course they, you know they, they're always behind you know trying to always become uh, you know be as operationally uh, effective it, as I mean, they my, can my, really from quickly, a budget perspective yeah go on sorry, sorry, sorry. My, my suggestion was going to be um the motivation if the motivation yeah. is about yeah. monetary kind of cost yeah. savings yeah. yeah i mean you're going to hit the you're going to tick yeah. the environmental box and yeah. the mosque will save money mm. you'll probably get more adoption yeah yeah but you know there is also the, a quick question that i had right was even in terms of the way we've started to a lot of the practice that we've taken on for example you know uh, uh, ben was uh, you know citing the example of ramadan right mm. and iftar i mean i remember the time when you know the food would be served in trays and where one, ta- one tray one tray yeah. and four or five brothers would get together and you know you would all eat from that tray which is very customary with traditional your with your hands yeah. or you know if you're Bengali I mean I can't eat with my hand, fingers bro so I mean with, with Pakistanis you have to have spoons but at least that would be a lot more environmentally friendly than having all these plastic plates and then containers and all of this you know a I've lot a of this t- I've got a solution bro yeah. you get the Bangladeshi brothers to teach the Pakistani brothers how to use their hands how to use fingers <laughs> and, and then bring back the trays for Ramadan and, it, and, it increases and the Anglo-Saxon the brothers like Ben uh, who, are, who are reverted mashallah so yeah. uh, let's have some lessons on wearing a longi yeah. and also uh, eating with your hands eating with your hands fantastic yeah well <laughs> I, I was going to say I mean if I've, if I've got to learn to eat with my hands I was going to say there's, uh, there's probably going to be a lot of sort of spilt food along the way until they get the knack of it recycling um, yeah. but yeah I mean obviously there are, there are different practices in, in different mosques yeah. a lot of those um, and as you've kind of alluded to there um, a lot of those um associated with some slight cultural differences yeah. depending upon maybe the community mm. that that the mosque is serving um and there are different practices in there are different practices in different mosques and i mean one thing i'd like to be able to see as i said if you've got sort of several hundred people um in some cases like maybe a couple of thousand people at a mosque each night during uh, ramadan for iftar yeah. um Everybody needs to drink at the same time at the end, and the solution to that, um, if you haven't got water, sort of, if you haven't got taps in the main hall, is to just give people bottles of mineral water. But obviously, that creates, over the course of a month, that's creating tons and tons yeah. of, of plastic waste. Yeah, yeah. Um, and ideally, what what you'd maybe like to do, I mean, maybe something that people ought to be thinking about is just sort of getting taps, drinking water, actually sort of plumbed into the main hall, so that mm. you can fill up. Fill up jugs there, and mm. um, and that's obviously it's not cheap. It that will cost money to right. to do, but okay. over the course of over the course of the 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 days and the months and the years, that sort of adds up, and it's got to be cheaper for the mosques as well. All right, fantastic. On on that note, Ben, uh, co-chair City Circle, thank you very much for joining us this evening, and giving us a, an insight into the upcoming seminar on eco-friendly massages. Jazakallah khair, Jazakallah khair, brother. Thank you very much. And I'd, I'd just say that, I mean, if anybody wants to join us, if anybody is able to make it into central London next week, um, the event is completely free of charge. So just have a look on our website. If you just go to thecitycircle.com, you can find full details there. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, and I was going to share those details, but unfortunately, we've oh, run yeah. out of time. We've run out of the time, but we, we will make those available on our blog or on our Facebook page. Jazakallah, brother friend. Ben.
Thank you very much. Salam alaikum. Right, Abdulakbar, uh, last couple of seconds left of the show. Jazakallah her and Sheikh for having you in, in the studio. Fantastic. Tell us, when are we going to see you next, Akhi? I don't know. Allah knows best. But um, I, I intend to be back, inshallah. inshallah. So look forward to coming back uh, into Luton and surrounding areas in the yeah. future with you, Hafiz Shaban. Inshallah. Very whenever nice whenever you're around, inshallah, ta'ala, you don't even need to ask, Akhi. You, you know where your home is uh, and you know where the chair is in have some lamb biryani ready for me and yeah, I'll be there you, you know you know what I came earlier to the studio today and, and you wouldn't believe it fish and chips were served oh, fish and chips mashallah nice. Rizik was written for me here in the studios of Inspire FM but, but on that note Jazakallah heran to Abdul Akbar Jazakallah heran to all of our listeners and until next week it's Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at inspirefmluton.